we've been uh, we've been in Ephesians. We've we've been marching through Ephesians. Uh, we're in chapter five, where um, there's just lots and lots of um, controversial things. You know, we 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 talked a lot about sex. Um, we we've uh, we've talked about worship, evangelism, things that are just challenging. Um, and so, I, I, huge breath of relief for us um, because where Paul's going next, a little bit, a little bit more mellow, where he's just talking about relations between men and women, something that's not really controversial in our in our context or our culture. Thank heavens. In 2006, 10 years ago, now there was a little documentary uh, that came out. Um, it was about my life. Uh, really exciting. I was surprised that a filmmaker thought I was interesting enough to uh, do a movie about. But yeah, it, 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 I didn't see it until last night. So I finally got to see it last night. It's been 10 years. And the failure to launch. You guys know this movie? Matthew McConaughey, a stunningly good-looking man like myself. Uh, you know, he's 35 years old. And, uh, and he's still at home. He's still living with the parents uh, in, their, in their estate. He's, he's, uh, he, he lives with them even though he's got a job. Um, He's having a hard time getting out into the world. He's having a hard time taking responsibility. To leave the nest, some men just need a little push. And that's Sarah Jessica Parker. He's, uh, he's, he's at home. Mom cooks and cleans for him, which is great. Uh, she does his laundry. Um, he, after, after dinner, while she's doing the dishes, he uh, retires to his, um, his master suite. Uh, in, in the home, you know, plays a, a few video games to kind of relax after a long day of sitting around doing nothing except hanging out with his friends. And his parents get so frustrated that they hire a woman to date him, to lead him out of the home, out of the nest, into the real world, to seize responsibility, to launch. Terrible movie, by the way. Don't, don't see it. I mean, just awful. Like, unbelievably bad. In 2006, though, this is a cute idea 10 years ago. Um, now it's an epidemic, actually. Yeah, it's the real world now. Um, today, men are increasingly on strike. They're, they're not taking responsibility. They're not um, launching. They're not becoming men. Right now, um, 13% of men between the ages of 18 and 34 are without work. Incoming college um, classes are now only 43% male. They're now 57% female. Um, of the divorces that take place in our culture, 66% are initiated by women. And over half of those are initiated by women who believe that their husbands are not living up to the standard of a man. We have 24 million children in this country. Right now, 33% of them, fully one-third, live in a home without their biological father. 25% of them have no father figure at all. In those homes, um, 63% of the children in our country who commit suicide come from homes like that. Right now, um, men between the ages of 20 and 34, 70% are unmarried. In 2014, 28% of men, 18 to 34, were living with a spouse or a partner. 28%. 35% 
were living with their parents. We're only beginning to see the cultural fallout of what is going to happen because of this. But I, I guarantee you, if you're concerned already by um, you know, crime rates, um, divorce rates, abortion rates, and pornography rates, they are going to skyrocket. Because men are checking out. They're not interested. They're failing to launch. And, and even those who do launch are struggling mightily to know why they're doing what they're doing. They're struggling mightily to know what is it that I'm made for, what am I created for, why I, I just don't feel like I've got purpose. I, I go to this job, you know, I'm, I'm with this family, and I don't know what it's all for. I'm not sure what I'm supposed to be doing in this life. Those are the ones who do launch, and the rest think they're suckers, and so they stay home. I know this because I speak from experience. I'm one of those men who wasn't sure how to, how to get going, how to get started. I had a hard time seizing and, 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 and owning my life, taking responsibility um, for who I was and who God called me to be. And it may surprise you that this text is Paul's way of speaking to men like that. Ephesians 5, 21 to 24. Submit to one another in the fear of God. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let wives be subject to their own husbands in all things. And husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. That's a tough text. We live in a, in a post-feminist culture. Um, and, and for good reason, for good reason, uh, you know, the, the, the church, the Christian church, and really Western civilization does have a long history of, of not being very, um, very uh, kind or, or, you know, really supportive of women. It's, it's, it's true. It's, it's true. I mean, it, I could give you some quotes from even church fathers, things that they've said about women where you'd like, oh my goodness, that is not, that, that just doesn't sound right. And you can see how maybe they had, you know, their, their intentions were in the right place, but, but if you had a bad actor who seized those words and took hold of those words, you could see very quickly how something like this, something, words like this could be used to, um, to, to denigrate women, uh, to oppress them, to hold them down, to even justify their abuse. And maybe if you're a lady here today, you hear these words and you're like, oh, nails on a chalkboard. Well, I want to suggest this. I want to suggest that this, uh, this text is a little bit like the rule of thumb. Maybe you've heard this. It's actually an urban myth, but it's, 
it's spread quite a bit, but people will say that the rule of thumb, that phrase, comes from uh, British common law where uh, a man was allowed to beat his wife just so long as the, the switch was no wider than his thumb. That's the, 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 the urban legend. That's the myth that's gone around. That's the myth that I've heard. Maybe you've heard it too. It's actually not true. It's not true. No one, no one ever did that in, in British law. But there's something interesting about it, something interesting. The reason it caught on is because it speaks to something we kind of know intuitively has been true in the past. That there were cases um, in Western civilization and, and now in, in many non-Western civilizations where abuse and violation uh, was standardized and it was okay. And so even though that rule of thumb, that, the etymology or the origin of that phrase isn't true, it does speak to something that has been real and it's part of our experience. I think that um, in, in Western culture, uh, especially in the last 50 years, that this is my personal opinion that there has been great value in the rise of, of women's rights and, um, and a call to, to equality um, before the law, especially, and, and to some extent in our culture, so that women and men um, can live in harmony, that women are protected uh, from bad actors. I think those are good things. But I also think that things have gone too far. I think that we live in a culture um, that has participated in a war on men. And I believe that in this text, Paul is giving us a hint. He's giving us a, a, a guide, a, a way forward to show how it is that we can inspire men to re-engage, to come back and seize, to launch, to own their lives. But to do that, we do need to dispel a few myths. Yeah, the first one is Ephesians 5. This text right here, this, this does not ask submission of women only. If you have a note sheet, this is the first thing in your note sheet. Ephesians 5 does not ask submission of women only. In the past, it's been the case that sometimes, well, uh, you know, submit to your husbands, women. Well, this text actually doesn't start that way. This text begins, submit to one another in the fear of God. To one another. Now, this is a little edit of the, the New King James. The New King James would say submitting to one another in the fear of God. And the New King James will have that as a transition uh, from the section that comes before. There's a reason for that. The reason is, is that you see those first two sentences, submit to one another and wives submit to your own husbands. There's only one verb in the, in the original Greek, and it's that first one, submitting to one another. So if you were to do a really literal translation of verses 21 and 22, it would say, submitting to one another in the fear of God, colon, wives to your own husbands as to the Lord. That submit there would be dropped out. Wives to your own husbands as to the Lord. And what Paul's doing is he's setting up kind of a section. He's saying, he's saying, this is how uh, life is going to work in, in your, in your, um, in your, uh, marital relations. You're going to submit to one, to, to each other in the fear of God. You've got God above you and you're going to find a way to submit to each other. And then he's going to give specific examples, two specific examples of how that works. And so for women, for women, you are going to submit to your husbands. As to the Lord, you're going to honor and submit to your husbands. We'll talk about what that means. And men, you'll see at the very, begin, very bottom there, we're going to get a, a sense of what this is next week, how, how men submit, or husbands submit to their wives, and it involves love. So there's, there's two things going on here. This is not uh, Paul taking advantage of women or, or, or causing only them to have a, 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 an attitude of submission in life. There is there are both sides, both the man and the woman, the husband and the wife, have to do something um, in order to make uh, marital relations work. 
There's another um, kind of just, it's just not true. We got we to talk about it. It's, Ephesians 5 does not advocate the natural superiority of men over women. This has been uh, endemic in Western civilization. There's this idea that has come really from Greek philosophy, not from the scriptures, but from the Greek philosophy, that somehow men are like superior. They've got some kind of special status that women don't have. The scriptures will say that we're, you know, we have different roles, but there's nothing inherent about men or women where men are better or, or more valuable than, than, than women. This is, like I said, something from Aristotle. Aristotle um, thought of women as, um, as defective men. <laughs> so, so when you had a child, if it was a boy, you're like, yes! And if you had a, a, a girl, you'd be like, it's broken! That, really, that's, that's kind of how he, he um, described it. And that was very powerfully influential um, in Western intellectual history. Notice that that's just not what happens in this text. Look at this. Look at this. Your own husbands, right? To their own husbands. First off, this command is not for women to all men, okay? It's not as though women are walking around and men are these masters of the universe and women are cowering before them being like, that's not the vision of marriage. That's not the vision of of communal cultural life this text is is creating. Instead, Paul's saying, your own husbands. And notice, this is agency, right? Women are not just passive actors. They're actually being called to make a sacrifice here. They're being called to make a sacrifice to their husband, to the man that they're with, to submit their own husband, no one else. This is just for him. This is just for him. And so in a way, this is a little bit countercultural. Instead of women going around being submissive to all men because of some natural superiority, here is is just for a relationship, just for marriage. Another common, um, common misconception is that um, Ephesians 5 authorizes or encourages or perpetuates abuse. No, absolutely not. Ephesians 5 does not authorize, encourage, or perpetuate abuse. Look, look, um, look here at, at, at these things. Submit to one another. Okay, this is, this is, a, this is two people working together. Um, when, I was, uh, when I was thinking about marriage someday, uh, I had a couple of friends, Wit and Laura. And Wit and Laura um, had, had gone through extensive marital, premarital counseling, and they were very, very intent on making sure that they had a great marriage. And one of the things that their marriage counselor said is he said, both of you, at all times, have to be giving 130%. And if you're both doing it, then it works. But if one of you is giving 75 and one of you is giving 130, it's going to be a problem. Marriage really only works when both parties are working as hard as they can. The, the problem, the way that this text is used to justify abuse is for men who say, who say, oh, you're supposed to submit to me. I say it and whatever I say goes and you just need to obey. And that, that's, and that, that creates a, a system uh, that, can, that can lead to and, and perpetuate abuse. But that's not what Paul's saying. Submit to one another. Men and women, both of you have a job here. And when you're both doing it, things will be well. And then look at what the husband's job is. Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. This is not obey. I'm the king here. I rule. It's not that. It is men who love and are affectionate and tender and give as Christ gave himself. 
We'll talk a little more about that. But we can say, ladies, this does not justify any kind of violence or abuse. If that's taking place, that is not acceptable. Absolutely, categorically unacceptable. If a husband hurts, neglects, violates his wife, you can be certain that he is not giving himself for her as Christ gave himself for the church. But wait. Okay, wait. If, if the text isn't, you know, justifying um, how women are supposed to submit, if that's not the point of the text, if the point of the text is not to, you know, encourage uh, abuse or oppression or something like that, if, if it's none of those things, what is really going on here? What is, what is the point of this command to ladies to submit? Why does Paul feel the need to, to talk about this? Well, one of the reasons I think that we can't hear it or it's harder for us to hear it is because we don't share the same assumption about manhood, about manhood that Paul and the ancient world shares. In the ancient world and in the scriptures, the ideal man's virtues are embodied in leadership. Leadership. So if you're, if you're um, reading in the classical tradition, you pick up, you know, you're, it's, it's been a long day at work, you want to relax, so you pick up Aristotle, as you do, next to the fire, in your robe, with your pipe, your mahogany shelves, your leather-bound books, and you pull out your, your copy of Aristotle, and you're, you're thumbing through to your favorite section, where he's, ta- where he's talking about, about manhood, um, and you're like, oh, interesting, interesting. Oh, Aristotle, what does an ideal man look like? What kind of things characterize the ideal man? Well, he'll say things like courage. He'll say thumos or spiritedness, um, daring almost. Uh, he'll say um, wise, patient, endurance. Those are kind of the cardinal virtues of a man in, in, in the classical tradition. Courage, spiritedness, daring, uh, energy, enthusiasm, and, and prudent, wise, patient, endurance. Who needs qualities like that? Leaders. The ones who point the way. The ones who are in charge. Patriots. Men of politics, the paterfamilias, the the head of the family, they need to be leaders. They have to have the courage to go ahead. They have to have the spiritedness, the daring, and the energy to, to, to provide it when no one else has it. They've got to have prudence. They've got to be wise to think about whether they should stop or go when they need to have endurance so that when things are hard, they don't give up. These are the, the, these are the virtues that, that make for great leaders, inspiring leaders. An ideal man, the perfect, the full, the great man in the classical tradition and to some extent shared in the, script, in the scriptures is a leader. The classical tradition understands, the scriptures understand the way God has created men is that inside of them there is a desire, a need, even if they don't recognize it, even if it's been put down, even if they've seen so many episodes of The Simpsons and they think that Homer Simpson is the ideal man, even if they think that, there's something deep down inside of them that rebels, 
There's something deep down inside of every, every boy that yearns to be a man. And Paul agrees with that basic idea. The difference is that instead of, instead of you know, the, the, the general or, or the colonel or the, the, the warrior um, as the ideal, Paul says the ideal is Christ. This is the leader that men are to, to follow, to, to be inspired by. Look again at the text. The head. The head. In Greek, uh, head is, is kephale. When that gets translated to Latin, it's kaput. You might hear um, in kaput the, the, the lingering echo that we have in English. Captain. One of my favorite uh, stories is about Captain Winters, Captain Dick Winters, the 101st Airborne, World War II. Dick Winters is the ideal leader. Why? Well, um, every time there's a battle, and if you watch Band of Brothers, you can see it, or if you read the book, um, Steve Ambrose, you can, you can read about it. What happens is, is that they, they go into these situations, they're terrifying, horrible situations, you know, radically violent combat. Um, and and, and, and they're, they're there, and, and one of the first times that the 101st is engaged in, in, in a situation like this, Winners is, is, is calling his men to take a town. And at the top of the town, there's a man, a German Nazi with a machine gun. He's just peppering um, the, the ground with, with machine gun fire. And there's snipers firing. And so the guys are, are, are in a ditch along the side of the road. And they don't want to get up. They're, they're terrified. They know that their, their death is on them. And so, and so Winner says, go, we got to go, we got to go. And they're like, right, you, you do it. Go ahead. Feel free. You take that town. And then he does. He stands up. Bullet fire everywhere, all around him. And he runs back to his men and he says, follow me. And then he doesn't look back, he just runs. And it's hard to explain what changes, what transpires in the minds of, of his troops, but they're looking at him and there's a, there's a sense of disbelief. How could anyone do this? What kind of man are you that you are willing to go into sure death and maybe in some ways they're a little bit ashamed. And one by one they begin to stand up and they begin to follow him. They run after him. They begin firing. And as soon as they falter, he turns back and he says, follow me. And he leads the way. Look at that language. He is the savior of the body. Christ is. In this way, I think there's a little bit of, of, of the way that, that Dick Winters is a little bit like Christ in this, where he, he saves the people that he leads. He shows them where to go. He protects and provides for them. Of course, what Dick Winters couldn't do, but what Jesus did is he rescues us from our sins first. He forgives us, wipes the slate clean, turns us from darkness into light. And then he says, go be the light, follow me, imitate what I have done. You can't forgive people's sins, but you can share the gospel. 
What is it to, to save? Uh, you know, that, that word in, in Greek, it can mean everything from rescue um, to deliver to, to all those things. And, and when you think about what Christ does for us, the church, he gives everything for us so that we are protected, so that we are rescued, delivered, we're provided for. And then at the bottom, he says he gave himself for her, the ultimate sacrifice, the one Winters was never called to give. Christ was. Christ went all the way for us. And then he says, follow me. Paul agrees with the classical tradition that that a man is created, that deeply inside of him there is something that, that makes him need to lead. The difference is, is that Paul says, winners is awesome, but Christ is king. Ladies, he will never be truly Christ-like until you let him lead. He will never be truly Christ-like until you let him lead. Ladies, you thought, you thought that this text, Ephesians 5, it's about oppressing you, holding you down, misunderstanding your nature. You thought it was all of those things. It's not. It is a sacrifice you are called to make, to make him who he is supposed to be, the man he was called to be, the man he needs to be. Men, you are called to lead by sacrificial self-giving. In that, you will become everything God desires you to be. Another World War II story, because they're great. This is the last one, I promise. The ladies are like, oh, really? D-Day. The Allied invasion of Normandy. A bunch of boats are coming, and you know, if you've seen the movies, you know that it was... horrific event. Well, um, on White Dog Beach, uh, the, the Allied forces are stopped up. They're, um, they, can't, they can't move. They're pinned down. And they're literally pinned down for an entire hour. Uh, and, and you can only imagine what that must have been like under you know, explos- explosions and, and, and gunfire to, to be unable to move forward for an hour. Well, at, at the end of this first hour, uh, another landing craft comes in and aboard is Brigadier General Coda. Um, and, and at the time, he's a, he's a brigadier general. He becomes more, but, but he, he lands on, on the beach, and, and he, right in front of him, I mean, literally three of his men are cut down as he's exiting the craft. They basically give their lives so he can get onto the beach. And he walks. He doesn't run. He walks up the beach with explosions and bullets f- flying everywhere. And he looks for the, the, uh, the closest commanding officer, and he says, what unit is this? And the, author, uh, the officer says, fifth rangers, sir. And Coda says, well then, rangers, lead the way. And they lead the way. Here's the thing, ladies, about that story. Maybe you're impressed. I guarantee you, the man next to you is I guarantee you the man you're with hears that and says, I want to lead the way. I want to be like those men. 
I want to be the kind of guy who's worth it in the trenches, who will not fail, who has vision of the future, who stands his post and does his duty. I want to be that man. Women, this text is a call for you to do the thing he needs most so that he can become like Jesus. Let him lead. Guys, rangers lead the way. This will draw out of you the best person that you can be. It will change you if you haven't done it. Um, I uh, am <laughs> obviously not the person to be giving this serve incredibly, uh, but it is what it is. I know that, that insofar as I've um, tried to lead the way, I've found that I like myself way more than I ever did 10 years ago. I've found that I see in my life that I'm doing something worthwhile, that's meaningful, that has purpose. And I've discovered, as somebody who is as, as radically against, you know, radically for like marital equality or whatever it is, um, as someone who, who grew up in academia, I mean, I'm an academic, there's no, there's no one in academia who believes anything like this. They're all crazy. And, and, and I was there, and then, and then, and then something unbelievable happened. I got married. And for the first time, I was like, wait, none of this works. All this theory. Something's wrong. It must be her fault. No. Aaron married a little boy. She needs a man. She married someone who was, you know, who equivocates and has no, you know, just a, just a, a worm, you know, spi- a spaghetti, spaghetti spine. She needs someone to lead the way. It's still hard for me, even with spiritual leadership in the household, um, you know, trying to work on, on, on leading the kids. It's just weird. It's hard for me. It's hard. I admit that. I confess it. It's, it's, I know it's weird for me to be, you know, a pastor or whatever, and, and at the same time admit to you that it's hard, but it is. It's something that requires discipline. It's something that requires planning and vision. It's something that requires a lot of work for me. But man, when my kids know how to pray before they go to sleep, it's worth it. When they say, Daddy, Daddy, is it church day? It's worth it. Of course, it's impossible to do it right, to do it perfectly. But guys, that's why Jesus came. He did it perfectly. He was the one who led the way. He was the one who took care of it and showed us what it looks like and did it for us on our behalf. He's the one who died for you, men. He is the one who gives his spirit to empower you, men. All you must do is believe and follow. That's it. And he will take care of the rest. If you're looking for something practical, a practical way to go about it, Lou's got a, a men's small group, and it's about leadership. 
And I don't know if, he's, if I can convince him to do it again next winter, but maybe, maybe if, if, if someone here wants to do it, we can make that happen. But guys, if you don't feel like you're leading and you want to be a leader, you want to have that, that reserve, that strength, you want to look at yourself in the mirror and say, that man leads the way. If that's who you want to become, let me know and we will find a place for you to, to get those skills and to make that a discipline in your life. All the single ladies... Men don't lead you. You're not supposed to submit to them yet. Right? Remember? It's just for, just for husbands. So all the single ladies, if you're looking for marriage, first off, you don't have to do the submission thing yet. Think about it, because it will be something, a discipline you're asked to do to make him who he's called to be. But, but look for the guy who's ready to lead. Again, you know, sometimes you've got to look underneath, you know, you've got you to scratch the surface a little bit, because they might look a little bit like me, it might be on the, on the uh, but, but, but find the one who's got that inner reserve of strength, the one who really does love the Lord, who really will commit. For guys who are single, if you desire to marry, learn to lead the way. And if you don't desire marriage, that's okay. You can commit all of your time to the work of the gospel and the service of the Lord. That's okay. That's great. That's beautiful. In fact, uh, Paul would prefer that you do that if you look in 1 Corinthians. But if you are looking for marriage, single men, learn to lead the way. If you do, I submit you will find that the ladies are more attracted to you. Last, um, I'm sure there's some women here who wish their husbands would lead. And they don't know how to convince them to. I'm sure that at various points along the way, my mother and Aaron were with you and sympathized with you. But here's the thing. Your story's not done. Have hope, okay? If, if I can start, he can start. And, and yeah, I understand the challenges because you can't nag. Like, be a better leader. And he's like, leave me alone. And, and then you can't lead him to become a leader. That's counterproductive. And so you see, it feels like you're caught in a bind. I understand that. I do. You can talk to him about him. You can look for the places where he feels insecure, unfulfilled, not satisfied. Tell him to talk to me. I can relate, I promise you. And I can tell him that it's found in Christ and in following him. Friends, um, we started with just a whole bunch of terrible statistics about you know, what's happening to manhood in our culture and, and, and how, how boys are just checking out and, and not getting excited, not taking the lead. Not, they're failing to launch. They've gone on strike for marriage, for fatherhood, for all of these things. And, 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 and what I'm suggesting and what I think Paul and what I think the scriptures are suggesting is that the first thing that we can do, the first thing that we can do is for to have a wife who's willing to let him lead. Encourage him to lead. Let's be a culture, let's be a church that inspires men to take the lead. Inspires them to lead the way. Because wouldn't it be amazing if, if boys became men again? 
Wouldn't it be amazing if it started here with us, in our culture, in our community? I believe that it can. Husbands, lead the way. Wives, let them. Let's pray. Father, I pray that we will be characterized by men who lead. I thank you, God, for the men here who have inspired me to lead, who've shown me what husband and fatherhood look like. I thank you for their inspiration and their, their leadership. I pray that you build them up as leaders, encourage them, inspire them, give them vision for what it looks like. Fill their hearts with satisfaction as they become more self-giving, more loving, more like your son. And God, I pray that the women here, the wives here, will make the sacrifice to let them lead. To look to them for guidance. To encourage them. Help them when they fail. Pick them up. Move them forward again. All in the name of your son. Amen.